0: Welcome back to iGenPolitics, the podcast that makes politics engaging and relevant
1: for all generations. This is Victor Ashi. And I'm Jill Wine-Banks, and today's hashtag Jill's Pin is a microphone, because the subject we're discussing has to do with being able to communicate, and whether it's fair and free, and you'll see what we're talking about.
0: Last week, CNN hosted Donald Trump for what was billed as a town hall, while moderator Caitlin Collins tried her best to rein Trump in and fact fact check Trump in real time. It was not nearly enough. The format and the hand-selected audience of Republicans and right-leaning independents made it impossible. The audience was totally sympathetic to him. They clapped for him. They cheered him on. They laughed at his lies and insults, including calling Caitlin a nasty woman. They enabled the worst of Donald Trump and democracy lost because of it. So today we're going to talk about what led up to this moment and how the media and media organizations should be covering Donald Trump and other over-the-top right-wing extremists heading into 2024.
1: We have a wonderful guest today, Mark Jacob. I read an opinion piece of his in The Courier, and I thought it brilliantly analyzed some of these issues. And he's joining us today to discuss all of this. His Twitter description says everything you need to know about him. I'm going to read it to you. It says he is an ex-editor at the Chicago Tribune and the Sun-Times and notes that he is now allowed to have opinions. And boy, does he have opinions. Um, He's also uh, co-authored eight books on history and photography. And he ends his Twitter description saying he's intolerant of racism and small-mindedness. So I think he's going to be a great guest. He's uh, now with... M. Harrison Company, which is a marketing and consulting firm that um, makes its clients look memorable. I'm happy to report that I know a number of his colleagues, and it's the first time I'm meeting Mark today and learning a lot about him, including that he's my neighbor and may know my cousin who used to work at the Tribune at the same time he did. But anyway, he regularly speaks out about the role of the press in our current democracy, which is, I think, at stake. And we're glad to have him with us. Thank you, Mark, for being with us today.
2: Well, thanks for asking me.
0: So we don't want to talk about what Trump said during the town hall, because I'm sure our audience has seen clips online, if not the entire show, and because we refuse to traffic in lies. Instead, we want to analyze kind of how this event happened uh, even in the first place. And I'm wondering kind of what you think went into CNN's decision to even platform Donald Trump.
2: I feel like um, it was not a journalism decision. I, I, I feel like it was very clearly kind of a marketing decision or a decision for CNN to become... They wanted to be a player in the uh, the election campaign. They wanted to be more important, and they they thought bringing you know this kind of career long liar on uh, CNN would would you know get a lot of attention and and make them kind of more relevant. I mean, they wanted to, to me. They wanted they didn't want to cover it. They wanted to be part of it, and that's that's part of the whole problem. Because if they wanted to cover it, they would have they would have done a lot of different things that would have minimized uh, Trump's ability to just just lie over and over again
1: well talk about some of those
2: things um well jill i have a a, my idea and this is one of the few ways that you could actually have trump on tv and 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 go well or at least go well for the for the viewers for go well for the people for the public wouldn't go that well for donald trump and that's when you have him on if you're going to have him on live which frankly that's not that great an idea anyway because which because it's so hard to fact check in you know in, in real time. Yeah. But if you're going to have them on, have a panel of experts who know all the issues, and uh, and they would have what I call a truth buzzer. And so whenever Donald Trump said something that was just wrong or seemed wrong, they'd hit the truth buzzer, and the the host, in this case Caitlin Collins, would say, "Excuse me, Mr. Trump, hold on. We have to check with our panel, you know, on that last statement you made." They'd go over to the panel, the panel would say, you know, this, 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 and the other, no, this is not accurate. And then they'd move on to the next, uh, uh, to let Trump talk again. And then the next time he lied, they'd hit the truth buzzer again, and they would go through it that way. And he would not be allowed to talk until his issue was adjudicated. And and this way, you wouldn't have this kind of what, what they call the fire hose of falsehood, where um People like Trump and Kellyanne Conway is like this too. They talk so fast, there's no there's no space between their sentences to where they talk and talk and talk, kinda of like what I'm doing right now, you know, where you can't get a word in edgewise and you get, keep on talking and I see say lies, 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 lies. And and you seem rude if you interrupt people like that. And so, so go ahead. Wait. Wait, no call finish and no, that's I, a, no, I I just feel like that, that you put someone like uh, Caitlin Collins in a terrible position when you do that because, you know, she has to either interrupt him and look, look rude, or she has to let him lie. And, 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 and the problem also is that if, if you do interrupt him, you never can get back to the first lie. You know, he, it's a, it's a, it's a series of lies. And so you might, you know, fact check in lie number three or four or five, but you're never going to get up to lie number one. I mean, it's just so hard to backtrack in that context.
1: So, it was an impossible
2: situation for Caitlin.
1: There was no question. But what you said brings me to sort of a a question uh, twofold. One, would Donald Trump ever agree to appear in such a format? And there are already rumors um, that negotiations about this particular format took place between CNN and the Trump team. And it's known that Caitlin came from a right wing daily caller, um, and had very limited experience. Uh, No matter how talented you are, there's no substitute for having experience. She's only a few years into the business, so to speak, and started as an entertainment uh, reporter, and then briefly as a White House reporter. So do you think it's true that these negotiations took place between Trump and CNN, and that he would and then go back to the other question. Would he ever accept a proposal that included the kinds of things you've said?
2: No way. There's no way he would, or he'd stomp off in the first 30 seconds. But yeah. one thing about that, and you know, I don't normally since CNN turned into this kind of, uh, you know, both sides kind of uh, network. I don't really, I don't watch them anymore. I did watch this just because I was going to write about it. And it. it, it it's, it seems like it, right at the start of the show, Collins said there were no conditions given on uh, you know uh, for his appearance, and, and I just I frankly don't believe that. How could that be true? They had to negotiate over who would be in the audience. They had to negotiate with her who would be on stage. They had to negotiate on all those things. They had to negotiate on the length of it. So this thing, there were no conditions. I, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't. I, that doesn't make any sense at all. They clearly negotiated the conditions for how he would appear and 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 but the thing about you know well she's an experienced so she wasn't this was she wasn't up to it she's actually a pretty good reporter i think generally and um but you know it's impossible for one person to handle that i just think that you know because he's talking so fast and he's saying so many lies also you you should come armed with facts there's no reason what i didn't understand is why did cnn not have videos and not have truth social posts ready to pop on the screen as soon as he said something when he denied something why didn't why weren't they equipped to say well hold on a second Mr Trump you put this on a truth social post 2 months ago or or let's watch this uh, let's listen to this audio of you trying to talk the Georgia election official into into finding you know, 12,000 votes or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, so Why? So, so, there's no excuse for not being prepared. This was not, you know, Trump didn't say anything that what, it was new, really. I mean, or hardly anything that was new. Most of that stuff we, we knew already. So mm-hmm. they knew about it. And so why weren't they not prepared to just go to, to push back on every lie he made? Why did they let him steamroll them?
1: Yeah. You yeah. raise a, an
2: important point, which is that we had Mehdi
1: Hassan on, a few weeks ago about his new book, which was how to win arguments and how to present. And one of the things he says is you always have to have the receipts Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: they clearly did not uh victor you want to take the next but
0: donald trump even at one point had the receipts i mean he pulled out this paper with all of his tweets (laughs) and it was kind of a laughable moment but i mean yeah caitlin collins i mean there could have been such easy moments where caitlin collins for example she uh, they were talking about the georgia phone call and she said well you know we've listened to the audio well they could have played that audio easily at that they didn't and i'm wondering i mean Why do you, I mean, do you first, is there anyone who you can think of who can push back against um, Trump in real time in in this live format? Um, And also, in general, kind of why do you think politicians in the media are afraid of or bowing to Donald Trump?
2: Well, as far as who could, you know, match up with a media son is a good example of somebody who could match up with them. Uh, John Stewart, also somebody, somebody who has a little those gravitas and experience and really isn't afraid of, of, of having the interviewee walk out, on, you know, just is not worried about that. And that's that's the problem here is that, that CNN had Trump on for programming. They wanted it was a product to them and they were cooperating with Trump on producing the product and the product was valuable to them. It was an access issue. And the real problem with, with with the way people do interviews these days, on TV especially, is they care about access too much. If they think if they're too rude or – and it, rude is – I'm using rude the way – I don't really mean rude. I think asking a hard question is not rude. It's just direct. It's just professional. But it comes across sometimes as rude. If you interrupt somebody or you tell them that they're not answering your question or you ask the same question three or four times. But, you know, you got to do that. The thing that bothers me about, yes. about and Caitlin Collins was really guilty of this, is you ask the question, he doesn't answer it. You ask the question again, he doesn't answer it, and you move on. That's not what you do. You keep on asking the question until he answers it, or if he doesn't answer it after the third or fourth time, you announce to the audience, he's not going to answer my question, so we will move on. You don't like to let them skate, and 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 Trump was allowed to skate on a bunch of stuff in that thing. So Victor and I had a very um,
1: exciting situation where the guest almost walked off. Uh, It was Chris Miller, who was the secretary of defense uh, during January 6th. And virtually at the maybe the second question, maybe it was the first. first He literally was going to. Was it the first? Yeah, he was about to get up and walk off. I I talked him off the ledge and he stayed and it became a very, very important interview. Uh, But we were willing. Well, first of all, we didn't think the first question was going to set him off. I have to admit that. But if he had, then that would have said a lot. And so I don't think it's always so bad. But anyway, we've seen this not just with Trump, though. Uh, 60 Minutes uh, at CBS had a similar calculation, it seems, by platforming Marjorie Taylor Greene. So what do you think that was the same thing? Talk about that a little. Yeah,
2: that was it was the same thing as part and CBS. CBS is in a bad place right now. I mean, they had Mick Mulvaney. They're paying Mick Mulvaney to be a, you know, to be a commentator. I mean, you know, see so you're paying somebody who's really part of the problem and part of the threat to democracy, and has been proven to be that. So, you know. So and it, again, it's just wanting to be a player. It's wanting to be part of part of the system and the the best journalism is is outside the system it's 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 overseeing the system it's it's watchdogging the system it's not being part of it That's why, I mean, just to go off on a little mini rant here, that's why, to me, the correspondence dinner in Washington drives me up the wall, because it's journalists and politicians hobnobbing and partying together as if they're part of the same club. They better not be part of the same club, or it's a bad club. This is not what journalists, journalists are not supposed to be friends of politicians. They're supposed to watchdog and report on politicians. They, They shouldn't be their friends. If they're their friends, they shouldn't be reporting on them. So I I, th- I think that's something we
1: could discuss at much greater length. Um, but let's let's um, look at continuing this discussion about why outlets do this, why um, right. media does this. And part of it is because they are a business. They have to make right. money. And so you know, we can't ignore that they need advertisers, they need viewers. and so they may be doing this at the end of the day, to make money and to get ratings and viewers. Um, I, but but so the question really is then, for you, Mark, what's the point at which the business model is a disservice to democracy, is a disservice to the voters who need what you're saying? They need the facts in order to make valid decisions at the polling place.
2: Well, you know, it's um, there's that old saying in Soviet Russia where, you know, when it comes time to you know to hang the capitalists, they will you know dicker over the price to uh, the, to sell us the rope. and uh, and I think of that when I think of this this kind of really chummy journalism that lets fascists on to say really horrible things. I mean, do the people who were journalists who are doing that, do they think that they would survive in a fascist system? and and you know i I don't I use that the word fascist not, you know, for alarm or anything. I use that because it's accurate, because that's what's going on right now. I am extremely alarmed by what's going on. And the fact that the news media still wants to act, many of them at least, want, still want to act like this is going to be a normal election next year, or like it's just two candidates. It's just, you know, it's just the two political parties. They're right about the same. You know, and, and I'm old enough to remember when, I thought the political parties were about the same. And I think that they, they kind of were in the seventies and eighties. And, you know, I went back and looked at, um, at some of the scandals in the eighties and nineties, and, you know, they were pretty much bipartisan scandals, you know, Keating five and, and, and various things like that. Um, And, uh, and ab scam, things like that. And they were, there were plenty of Democrats involved in that. I, I kind of feel like, like Bill Clinton um, you know, he had his own scandals, but beyond Clinton, when he got beyond Clinton and you got to like Obama, I think Obama kind of cleaned things up. When you look at at the, at the history of, of his administration, you know, there are very few scandals. And okay. yet you have the Republican Party at the same time. You've got you've got Newt Gingrich and various other, you know, dirty dealers. And, and I what I'm saying is that that treating the two parties as the same is a giant mistake now because. In the last 30 years, things have really gone off the rails for the Republican Party, and to fail to realize that is a mistake. It's 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 the news media in fantasy land because they want things to be just the same way they always were, so they can go to the same cocktail parties. And and I, I can't, I've got to emphasize, you know, Victor and Jill, that the access is a huge issue, and the idea that these big networks want to be part of the whole system, mm-hmm. and so they, and they want to get the guests, and they want to you want to promote it now the thing about cnn that that you know you were talking about you know, it being a uh, a business decision for them i don't see their lane and I'm, I'm i'd be curious what you guys think about this i i do not understand what their lane is at one point in time they had you had msnbc sort of on the left although not not all the time but sort of on the left you had fox clearly on the right you've got you had those really right-wing outliers Newsmax and uh and, and one American OAN. Yeah. But, and you had CNN kind of sitting there in the middle, which was not that bad a place to be from a marketing perspective or from a programming perspective. But and I don't understand why they didn't like it. I, I mean, I have to think that it's John Malone, the guy who owns CNN, who gave money to, you know, to Trump's inauguration. And I, I have to think that they, I don't think it's a business decision, is what I'm saying. I think that CNN has now gotten a position where they don't have a lane. I'm trying to understand what their lane is. And you look at their at their uh, ratings, they're not good at all. They're not getting better either. And so, so, I, I would, so would, on Friday.
0: And Friday, there was a new, um, oh, is that me or is, I hear an echo. So. It might be okay. Well, on Friday, I mean, I, I saw this new. Um, I guess they, they released their uh, the audience for Friday, and CNN was trailing Newsmax, um and and, right. and it was under three hundred thousand viewers. I mean, it just was kind of abysmal numbers. Um, and as you're saying this, I mean, you're reminding me of kind of this call that I saw, it was after the morning after the town hall and Chris Licht did this conference call with a bunch of CNN employees and basically said that Caitlin did such a great job at like making news, which to me, based off of what you are saying is exactly the problem in that it's not up to cable news companies to make news, it's up to cable news companies to report news. And I'm wondering if you kind of agree with that and then also more generally what the proper role of the media now is in this kind of moment in our democracy.
2: Well, I have to say that, you know, as much as I criticize Chris Licht, and I think he's just a pox on CNN and has ruined it, and I hope he gets fired. Um, I, I think that, you know, again, he took a little too much, you know, of a hit for that. Because, I mean, as a, as a former editor, you know, when I sent a reporter out to an interview and they came back and said, wow, he said this or she said that, you know, I would, I would say, wow, you broke some news there. Oh, that's just some news in this interview. And, and uh, that didn't mean that I thought the Chicago Tribune would become the news. It made me. It said that we were getting beyond what was already known. You know, we were um, that we were. You know, that we were contributing to the uh, information that the public had. And so, 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 making news in that way is not a bad thing. But, 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 I think what people have gotten onto, and I, I, I kind of agree with this impulse, is that they think that it means that he's become the news you know, that he wants CNN to become the news, you know, and you guys haven't asked about Anderson Cooper yet. Are you going to ask about that? Sure. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and we might
1: as well right now since yeah. you raised it. Um, I, 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 I'm sure you remember some of the things he said in trying to defend. Um, let me see. I did write down. He, he said, um, and you were quoted as saying that it was a ridiculous false choice presented by Anderson Cooper, as if platforming a torrent of fascist lies pushes forward a responsible
2: conversation
1: about this nation's future. So, right. That's you what want to was what he was saying on that.
2: Well, he what? Well, sorry So the next morning, you know, everyone is just you know dumping on uh, on CNN, rightly so for this abomination. One of the worst things I've seen in TV news in years. I mean, just terrible because. You know, it really it just allowed somebody to make vicious lies. I mean, about crazy stuff like about, you know, babies being murdered by Democrats after they're born and and, you know, and also defame the woman that he had just been found in court to have defamed. I mean, come on. It was an abomination. All right. So this is terrible. Everyone says it's terrible. And Anderson Cooper trying to defend the brand the next you know day says, I know, you know, you some of you will never watch us again. I know you're mad at us. But, you know, we, 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 this guy is like the leading Republican candidate for president, and we can't ignore him. We ignore him at our peril. You can't stay in your silo. And it was the silos thing that drove everyone nuts, I think, including me. It was like like, like any of us have been in our silo- silos. What are we talking about? Are, are the three of us talking about how we don't know what the Republicans are doing right now and we don't care? We're not talking about that. We, I mean, a, a, a rational discussion about what's going on today, everyone everyone with a brain wants that. Right, everyone right. who cares about the democracy wants that. And So that's not what the choice was. It wasn't a choice between completely ignoring politics or watching Donald Trump lie for 70 minutes. Those are not the two choices that were in front of us. And so it was just, to me, it was just intellectually dishonest by Anderson Cooper, who I usually or I used to like when I watched CNN. <laughs>
1: Well, and, so and, well, and, well,
2: and you know, well, well. I, I mean, as a former journalist, I don't like to denounce news organizations. I think news organizations are super important. I, I don't I don't know how we you can't have democracy without having news and without having facts that people can agree on. That's the whole problem today mm-hmm. is that the Republicans want to there'd be no facts that we agree on and therefore we can't have democracy. So the news media is just super important in all this. And I don't want CNN to be terrible. I don't want it to fail. I want it to be really good. I want it to be fair, and 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 it's, but it's not. And we have to say that. And it's, yeah, you know, yeah. you, but back to really what your question you asked Joe was, you know, was what's kind of what's the role? What's their role? And and I just kind of stopped believing in uh, in objectivity. I mean, when I was um, at a, an editor at the Chicago Tribune. On the national desk, I would uh, read the Washington stories when they came in, and I would actually count in those stories how many quotes from Republicans and quotes from Democrats we had. The idea that that would make us fair if they were close.
0: Fair, yeah. And I
2: remember uh, uh, several stories about uh, Bush's explanation for why he invaded, you know, Iraq, and bumping up his explanation so it wasn't so low in the story just because I thought that was fair. So' I'm, so so I have a long history of, you know as a newspaper person of, uh, of trying to balance stories out and make them fair. but and so, so and that's back when I believed in newspaper uh, and news objectivity. I don't really anymore because when you think about it, everyone's got an opinion including news people and and you have some beat reporter who's covered the same topic for 20 years do you really want that reporter to pretend they don't know anything that they don't have that they don't bring any knowledge to the subject that they haven't reached any conclusions about something they've been covering for 20 yeah. years no and they have conclusions the thing is it's performative they're pretending that uh, that they that well this person just said something and we're, we don't know if it's true or not they do know and and I feel like and, and also, the very act of assigning a news story. I was a you know an editor, and I would send reporters out to cover stories. I didn't send a reporter out and say, you have to cover every story that's out there in Chicago today. No, I picked a story, and I sent them to cover it. That was a value judgment on my part. That was me deciding, this is important to our readers. That's not, or not as important. That's a value judgment. That's, a, that's my opinion. That's not objective. That's a subjective judgment on my part. And so, if you're making subjective judgments based on your goal of getting the readers the, the best story or the thing that most affects their lives and is important to you, that's perfectly noble. That you, that's that's and and so I really like what what you're getting. Some people, Jay Rosen at NYU is good about this too, about how how you know that uh, journalists stating their biases or stating their, you know, I mean, even a, a journalist saying, you know, I believe in a woman's right to an abortion. I mean, just saying that is is—it's honest. That's where we're coming from. And uh, that's much better than just pretending you don't have any opinions on anything and that, well, they said that and then they said that. And, you know, who who knows? I mean, people don't go to news sources to hear who knows. They go to news sources to find expert people who've been studying a subject for years explain what they believe is going on based on the facts in front of them. Right, Right.
1: but you've got to stop at the word facts because that's where the real problem is. And I, like you, remember when facts mattered, when -hmm. there were only three networks, NBC, ABC, CBS, and they all had the same facts. Mm -hmm. They might have people on who had different opinions about what to do with those facts, but they didn't debate the truth of information. We now live in an alternative universe where we do not agree on facts. And you have Donald Trump repetitively repeating the same lies that have been debunked and proved to be false. And so I do think the media role has to be to call him or any other person, Democrat or Republican, who repeats something that's inaccurate, either by accident, by lack of information, or by deliberate choice. Um, and, And actually, when we talk about deliberate choice, CNN made a deliberate choice in formatting this in the way it did, and in not pushing back. CBS did the same thing with Marjorie Taylor Greene. They made a choice. They could have pushed back, but they didn't. And so I like your ideas about how to do that, even though you've said, well, yeah, that's true, but Donald Trump wouldn't appear in that format. So then where do you go? Because I used to argue to juries, no matter how thin the pancake, it has two sides. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that so much anymore, because what that's led to is this whole concept of alternative facts. They aren't. Yeah. Those are lies. But there you, is only one truth. You can package those facts in ways that could persuade you of an opinion or of a, uh, a policy in one right. direction or a policy in a different direction, but they would only be one set of facts. But, and so that's where we're stuck, right?
2: Yeah, but I mean, this is, I'm not like arguing for, well, We all we need is, you know, leftist propaganda in our news. I'm not arguing that at all. <laughs> I feel like... Um, I feel like there are a lot of legitimate opinions on the right. I mean, like, you know, I think it's a perfectly legitimate opinion if someone wants to think that the government shouldn't fund healthcare or, or, or if somebody thinks that abortion is a, you know, is, is murder. That's, that's their opinion. I respect it. Fine. But, but saying that the 2020 election was stolen is just a flat lie. That's just a lie. And they know it's a lie. It's just a, it's an attempt to, to, Persuade ignorant people to follow a, a demagogue, and right. it's uh, and that's the, and that's what the news media need to say, and right. because because that because that's a fact too. The fact is that Donald Trump is lying about the 2020 election in order to raise money that he's not spending, you know, to fight the election results, which he so he lied about. He probably committed a crime with that.
1: Yes, and
2: and and he's he's but he's doing it to keep. To get money and to keep followers—that's you know—that's a fact. That's an objective. you know objective fact. as you are going to get, and I think the news media need to need to state it. Also, another thing I want to say about media objectivity is that I think that the news media have been—they've been intimidated away from putting things in context. They, for example, all right, they say you know, E. Jean Carol accused Trump of uh, sexual assault. Uh, Trump denies it. Or what drives me crazy is when they say, well, Trump vehemently denies it, as if vehemently needs to be in that sentence. Just say they denied it. You know, it's like just because they acted, you know, put out about it doesn't mean it's a better denial than if they just denied it. So but just saying he denied it. But they never say and they would be accused of bias if they did say Donald Trump, who was caught on tape bragging about sexual assault, has denied assaulting. Eugene Carroll that's a fact that's an objective fact it's also a fact with a valuable context that this person who's denying sexually assaulting somebody was caught on tape bragging about sexually assaulting strangers women he just met grabbing them in their private parts he was caught on tape saying that and also i mean just whenever you're like going to have a denial by trump they they just say he denied it as if that's a legitimate denial as if anyone he, that's just a regular person saying they didn't do something. This is a guy who was caught lying more than 30,000 times when he was a president and say that they would never say that on a, in a news story because that would come across as biased. It's not biased. It's valuable context that helps you assess whether somebody is telling the truth or not, but, well, that, but nice. they would never do it. So, so that's what I'm saying. So I think that what I'm saying is I think that the news media are, intimidated into kind of a false pretense of objectivity in which they pretend things are true that they know are lies. Well, what you're
1: saying certainly was a persuasive uh, piece of evidence in the trial where it was put in context of one woman saying he did this to me and then two other women saying he did it to me too and then him saying this is what I do to women. So, Reporting on that, you would have to include all of those things in the context, at least of the trial. Um, but you raised another issue, which is about sort of bowing to Donald Trump and why are politicians and the media so afraid of
2: him? He's really—I mean, you know—the thing is, he doesn't know anything about policy. You know, he—he he can't. He doesn't like to read. He, uh, He's—you know—famously anti-intellectual. And not into stuff like that, but at the same time, there's certain things that are brilliant about Donald Trump. He is brilliant about. He's a great liar. He's, he's the he's the the most talented liar in American history. I mean, he's just energetic. He like he would rather lie than tell the truth. It's 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 the most natural act, uh, you know, uh, for him. And so he's good at that. He's really good at that. And he's good at like pushing back and he's good at making up specific lies too. You know, a lot of people will just lie in general ways. He, he just, you know, he invents it, you know, well, well, they were stuffing the ballot box, you know, in Georgia, they were like, you know, they they were pulling stuff out from under the table. They were, you know, there's always some, there's always some narrative to his lies. There's always some kind of, so, so, so he's just very good at that. And he's also the thing that, that, it was the most alarming, alarming thing to me about um, the threat to democracy was Donald Trump can smell weakness in people. And in 2016, he saw that whole Republican field and he knew that he could intimidate the hell out of them. He mm-hmm. knew that they were not, that, that, that none of them had the courage of their convictions. None of them were able to stand up to a bully. And they, they folded like a tent. They all just, you know, oh, Donald Trump's saying mean things about us. And so, as far as why do you know why do, do do people still follow Trump, and why does the news media get intimidated by Trump? Trump is really good at intimidation, and he's good at picking on people who are weak, and picking at people's sore points, and getting really personal about stuff to where you know none of us, you know, no matter how much we want to talk about policy, if somebody's going to like make fun of how long our hair is, or or that we wear funny clothes like Donald Trump would, if he wanted to, they're, they're vulnerable. Their people are personally vulnerable to that, that, you know, so calling Marco Rubio little Marco worked. It made him, it, it scared him. And, and frankly, Marco, Marco Rubio's proved himself to be very little since then. But, um, but so, so I guess the reason that people that, I just think it's wrong to underestimate Trump and what he's about. Not a smart man, but, but just with great propaganda instincts.
1: Well, also, I think a lot of people actually believe the same terrible yeah. policies that yeah. he believes. There's and so it. they follow him because they, uh, it's, I hadn't really thought of that, but um, one of my sisters-in-law from the podcast, the, my other podcast, right. uh, made that comment recently and, It really resonated with me. But I think we want to go back to the audience uh, at the uh, CNN town hall. And Victor had a question about the audience.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think it ties sort of to me, that was the most disturbing part, because like you said, I mean, Trump is so good at lying. He's so good at kind of twisting the facts and attacking people and the audience supported that. And they were a key component of that town hall, cheering him on. I, I'm wondering if you, you can even read into that decision positively um, and, and CNN's decision to choose that type of audience.
2: Oh, well um, I, you know, there's also there was that revelation that the, the producers went to the audience and asked them not to boo. Yes. So they didn't ask yes. him not to cheer or not to whoop and holler and not to laugh. They asked them not to boo. So they already they were helping fix the audience for Trump. How um, could they have done that? Well, they walked out, and you know they did the pre- in the prep, the audience prep, right? The but isn't did, that right.
1: anti-journalistic? I mean, does that meet journalistic standards?
2: It wasn't. It wasn't journalism, Jill. It was. It was a show. It was a. Yeah, it was. A, yeah. It was marketing. It was a program that's supposed to help CNN. You know, be a player in the whole the whole election. Um, You don't need an audience. There's really no purpose of the audience other than for drama. I mean, it is, it's truly a, you know, part of creating this kind of atmospherics that create this Mm. sense of tension and, and make it just more dramatic. That's all the reason they did it. You you don't need an audience. I don't, I don't understand why there's ever an audience for a debate, a political debate. It seems like it only messes things up. It only makes it unfair because somebody laughs or, Cheers or something to one candidate over another, and some candidates are better at playing to the audience than other. So so there's there's no there's a really good journalism argument for not having an audience at things like this. But if if you if it's showtime and it's not journalism, you'd have an audience. Yeah.
0: I mean, looking back um, at what happened last week, I'm wondering if you can think of any format that would work for Trump. I mean, town halls seem like it's really hard. Would debates work any better um, or will anything ever work to kind of control Trump, who, like you said, lies repetitively?
2: Um, You mean, you said work for Trump. You don't mean work in Trump's favor. You mean work for how to cover Trump? Right. Yes, Yes. Well, I think, I mean, the the what I talked about with the truth buzzer and all that. There's, yeah, yeah, he'd walk out in the first thirty seconds, so that wouldn't work. Um, no, I don't think. The, I, I think there's no. I think there's no format that would be fair to the audience as far as delivering real facts to them that Donald Trump would would allow. Donald Trump. That's why, you know, it's why he calls into. Fox and stuff he's not calling into you know to MSNBC because he knows he'd be asked hard questions um, I just feel like no there's no there's no way and the thing about just to be really clear about this we know exactly we don't need to know well I wonder what this Donald Trump guy is I wonder what his positions are I wonder what yeah. is he is he uh, prejudiced against people does he foment hatred or is he a, a straight shooter does he tell the truth we don't have any of those questions the most The most known thing in the entire universe is Donald Trump. I mean, come on. We know who the guy is. So we don't need town calls. I don't know what we need from him other than to to protect ourselves from him. Um, And and if you're going to have a debate, you know, with other Republicans, which is fine, um, don't do it with an audience and give everyone equal time. And uh, the thing about with a debate, it's different because, I don't feel like in a debate the moderator is under an obligation to correct uh, lies. I think I feel like that's the job of the the rivals. I mean, that's it, it should be. They should be be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is clearly an adversarial situation where you know it's competitive and all that. The thing that was so bad about the CNN thing is that Caitlin Collins was put into a, a, into an interrogator position, into a completely adversarial position where it was Trump and the audience versus her which was just outrageously bad. You know, and, and I think I tweeted that night uh, uh, that her, the executives of that, uh, that news organization really treated her badly should have never put her in that position and should be ashamed of themselves. They should be pariahs in the industry for having put a journalist in the position to fail so badly because they didn't give her any of the weapons to succeed. Yeah. And
1: and you've mentioned a lot of good ones that they could have done yeah, they in could terms have done of quite. preparation. Yeah, they definitely could have. So given what happened at that format and given what happened in the news coverage of the 2016 and 2020 elections, um, let's zoom out to look at how the media could be covering campaigns. How can they cover candidates who are not traditional candidates who will go out and give a policy speech, who will go out and tell lies, who will repeat those lies, even though they've been thrown out of court 60 times, um, who hire people like the ninjas in Arizona who say, there was no fraud. In fact, Biden got more votes than you thought he did. You got less. Um, So, and that's the people they hired, not people Mm -hmm. who were, you know, objective,
2: yeah, so but the what, thing about that too—the way for the media to handle it. Um, well, just one thing on the ninjas, and mm-hmm. this because this goes to the Durham thing as well. Right. Oh. Is that is that like fascist propagandists like Donald Trump? They the accusation's enough. All they want is the accusation. They don't care about how what the outcome is later. Nobody mm-hmm. pays attention to that, or few people. That's you know down the road. The accusation or suspicion enough is is valuable to them. Uh, Politically, that's why, you know, in the Ukraine thing where uh, Trump was trying to intimidate Ukraine into uh, starting right. an investigation of Biden, they, they didn't really care if there was an investigation. It's right. obvious from the way it turned out that all they wanted was an announcement by Zelensky that he was doing an investigation. Yeah. That announcement would have been en- enough if they didn't do anything else. And that's the same thing in the Durham thing. You know, they, The fact that they could talk about this for years was plenty good enough. Yeah. so 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 it, it's not so that they don't really all they need are propaganda points they don't, they're not really they don't care about results of investigations yeah, so what does the media cool. do so you ask what what, what yeah. does media do going forward well and i don't think they're going to do any of it i've pretty much given up on the idea that the news media is going to save us i think we have to save ourselves i think that people yeah. have to come together yeah. and and the very few kind of Progressive outlets that are out there, you know, they have to they have to do their thing and do it strongly. And people like, you know, you guys have to speak out and people have to speak out. They have to volunteer. And, I, you know, I'm not a journalist anymore. So I went up to Wisconsin and knocked on doors for that Supreme Court candidate. I can do that now because I'm not a, a, a journalist. Yeah. Yeah. And, and 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 that's a real thing you can do to, to fight off the rise of fascism in America. And so so real people can do that. So what, but the news media. I mean, if we're waiting around for them to save us, we're we're going to be sorely disappointed. But what can they do that's better? Well, they could spend less time worrying about polls. They could worry much more about policies. This is the thing. I mean, the so many journalists, on, especially on TV, uh, they're totally bored with policies. They're bored with the yeah. issues. They don't care. You know, uh, you know, price of insulin. Who carries You know, they much rather cover the politicians. Saying things because you know there's cameras. They have the easy footage. They don't have to go find some woman with diabetes and debuke an interviewer. They can uh, they can just you know have Ron DeSantis say something chippy in front of TV cameras. So it's much easier for them, and they also don't have to have to understand the nuance of the issues, nuances of the issues. Issues are hard. They're complicated. They're not simple. And you know legislation's hard. So they would much rather cover. Well, who's winning? Who's losing? You know, is uh, what's happening with Nancy Pelosi? Well, let me tell you, the regular people they don't care what's happening with Nancy Pelosi, but they might care whether their uncle has you know health care and can get you know his sore leg treated. They might want. They might care much more about that than whether Nancy Pelosi or uh, Kevin McCarthy were winners or losers in some particular situations. But the news media is different. The news media needs. Characters. It needs um, it needs to turn it into a story, and so they're they're way obsessed with polls and with you know who's up, who's down, and that stuff. If the news media really wanted to help us, they would explain things. They would they would be doing much better on this uh, debt ceiling stuff and explaining that the Republicans actually are holding the economy hostage, you know, for political benefit. And but they it's it's so it's all personality so the what would be good is if the news media actually explained how government works and, and what I think politicians so. stand for no you the news media still hasn't pinned down hardly any of the republican candidates on where exactly they stand on abortion abortion one of the biggest issues that's going on right yes. now And they keep on asking the Republicans. The Republicans keep on being evasive. Well, I think we should, you know, what's uh, Nikki Haley was like, well, we should find consensus. What kind of answer is that? Obviously, we're not going to find consensus. Where do you stand on a a national abortion ban or limit or whatever? What do you where do you stand on this? And the news media needs to relentlessly ask questions of these people and not just not let them wiggle away. But they but they do because you know they'd much rather get pictures of them, you know, kissing babies and talking to people in diners. Well, the
1: media really has a big job ahead of it in a very very difficult time where facts are not well known and aren't being communicated and other some of the candidates are being allowed to as we've talked about Trump repetitively repeat I guess that's <laughs> to repetitively say um, lies and we're in real trouble. You've talked about how the media is actually complicit in, in this. Um, do you want to explain what you mean by that?
2: Well, that was kind of back to the whole thing about like creating this, this false equivalency between what they do, because if you act like the, the two political parties are the same when they're clearly not, you you intend to minimize the horrible stuff of one party and maximize the the bad dealings of the other, and then I think that's what happened in 2016 with with uh, Hillary Clinton, you know, and the emails thing. I don't think it was good. I think what she did was was wrong, and she shouldn't have done it. But I but it, clearly it was not on the level of you know of oh. any of the stuff that that Trump's done. It just wasn't. But it got overplayed because for the news media could look like, well, we're objective and we're being fair and we're covering everyone equally. And so so it was, again, it was performative by the news media to help the news media look good for the news media rather than to cover the news to help the public understand what was going on. And, you know, as far as that emails thing, Jared Kushner and – Ivanka Trump are doing the same darn thing. Of course, they got in the White House, yeah. and, and yeah. It, it was and it was not nearly the biggest big story. It was like a one day story, and then it just floated on down the river like everything else, because there were plenty of other scandals to talk about. And so you end up with this situation where the news media just get kind of bored with scandal after scandal, and they 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 lower the bar to where you know to where to where they accept like Republican corruption and it's not, it's not news anymore. If they're always corrupt, and news is defined as something that doesn't happen all the time, well, then, then their corruption isn't the news.
1: Well, there's, there's some truth to that, but it's, it's also true that the press is gonna have to step up. How, are they gonna learn from the mistakes they've made in these last few elections and figure out a way to get the facts out in a way that people will understand uh, and, and I know when you say the parties aren't the same, of course, everybody knows they aren't the same in terms of policy. I think what you're saying is they aren't the same in terms of morality and right. truth. And, right. and, and know,
2: devotion right. to democracy. Right. Most most importantly. Yeah. And,
0: and, and to you, you also, to on earlier, in the episode, yeah. earlier in the episode, you also mentioned um, Jay Rosen, who and I think you alluded to part of what he was saying last week on MSNBC, which is that he suggested that news organizations should be covering not the odds of the election but the stakes of the election right. um, I'm wondering if that kind of gets to what you were saying that you know it's, it's stop talking about whether or not or I guess how likely it is that Donald Trump will win or how likely it will be that Joe Biden will win but instead paint that picture for voters about what that reality looks like
2: right and that's just a matter I mean that should be journalism 101 I mean that that, that in yeah. any story you want to tell the regular people how it's going to affect them what does it mean to them? You know, what does it mean to them if, uh, you know, if if black people aren't allowed to vote? Or if they, uh, you know, if, if they, they if you have one drop box in Harris County in Texas, the biggest county in Texas. I mean, um, what is that yeah, going to mean? Yeah. I mean, and getting to, instead of it being, well, or those Republicans in Texas, they pulled another political victory out of their hat. I mean, if you're covering it like that, just winners and losers, you're going to miss the point that, for regular people who work for a living, who'd like to vote and would like to vote, you know, with a drop box, they're not going to be able to do it because it's going to be an hour and a half drive for them to get to the drop box. Yeah. So they're not going to vote. And so so making those kind of points clear is super important. And that's But again, that really should be just basic journalism is making it relevant to regular people. The problem is that especially in Washington, D.C., too many of the journalists are talking to other journalists and talking to politicians and they're not talking to regular people and they're just not thinking very much about how it affects regular people. They're thinking about how it affects the their next door neighbor who you know might get a consulting contract.
1: I just did the commencement address at my alma mater, the now called College of Media, but was College of Communications when I was there at the University of Illinois. And this was very much a subject of discussion about what is the role of journalism? What is the role of getting the facts and the truth out? And I think yeah. what you're saying is very important to our audience, but Victor gets the last question.
0: Well, we always like to end the episode with um, your or with our guest advice for uh, students and you've been in journalism for a long time. I mean, given kind of everything that we've been talking about today and the kind of place that we're in the democracy and kind of how journalism has involved, evolved what is your advice for graduating seniors from college who may want to go into journalism and why um, is that so important? And how, how can students pursue that in the best way possible right now?
2: Oh, I love that question because, you know, right now journalism is in a, in a mess. It's an economic mess. You know, you have huge amounts of uh, numbers of uh, journalists have been laid off. Um yeah. And nobody can really find a good business model, and you have these major organizations that have become minor organizations. Uh, the newspaper where I, where I used to work, uh, the Chicago Tribune, has lost more than half its staff in recent years, mm-hmm. and uh, and is you know it, I mean frankly is a shadow of its former self because of that. Uh, the people who are still there are good, but they're you know so, but they're not enough of them. So. No. But what I tell students is is that just because we haven't figured out the business model yet does not mean that people don't want journalism. People do. People want reliable, interesting, informative material, news coverage more than ever before. It's an information society. People want to know things. It's not like, So it's not like the house, horse and buggy era where, mm-hmm. well, nobody wants a horse and buggy anymore. People want journalism it's just that the business model is screwed up and so being able to pay people for it is struggling and but there are are some answers and people are some nonprofits are stepping up so i think things are going to get better for the business of journalism as far as people getting jobs and what i would tell young people especially is is if if that's your passion go into it and it's a, it's a great it's a it's a good for society it's like it's it's not you just kind of snooping into what other people are doing. It's you helping people navigate their lives better. It's you helping people protect democracy so that their children and grandkids can still have a free country. And it, so it's, it's a noble profession and it's worth going into. And, and and if you do go into it, don't go into it with the situation we see so much, which is, oh, I'm just going to kind of write down what everyone says and you know put that in the newspaper because that way I won't make anyone mad. Make people mad. I mean, there's no point in being a journalist unless you're going to make somebody mad, because because if if you didn't make anyone mad, I used to tell my reporters this: if you didn't, if we if we're not making anyone mad today, we're not doing a very good job, because because you you should be writing about things that some people want to keep secret, that some people don't want the general public to know about, because there's an advantage in having the public ignorant about it. So, young journalists even though they have a lot of experience and they're not like, you know, I, I was talking about how earlier about how many Hassan or John Stewart would be really good at dealing with Trump because they're, they're experienced. They're tough old guys who can handle it. But um, young journalists can be brave too. And you see plenty of brave journalists. And uh, some of the pro winners in the last week were, were pretty young and brave journalists who did great work. And so I would, I would just say, don't go, into, don't go into it just, you know, for a paycheck. Go, go into it to be brave and uh, ask hard questions Don't and make people mad.
1: Yeah. That's such great advice. That we can't thank you advice. enough. It's a great place to end. And we thank you for spending the time with us. We hope our audience learned as much
2: as we did. Well, thanks for having me.
0: That was a fascinating episode with Mark, and I know we only have a limited time because uh, we're already at 53 minutes, but let's talk about maybe some of the news of the week. Um, there has been some interesting developments from Rudy Giuliani to the Durham report, which really didn't find anything, but Republicans are making a big, big deal out of it. Um, Jill, where do you want to start?
1: It's If we just list all the things that happened this last <laughs> week, it would take more time than we have, but you mentioned yes. two. Um, there's at least a third that we have to mention, which is the debt ceiling. But in terms of the Giuliani indictment, there's a lot of sleazy, disgusting stuff. And I know that a lot of people are talking about the sort of prurient interest information. But in Mm -hmm. there is Mm -hmm. also that he was going to sell pardons for $2 million and split it with Donald Trump. There's also numerous references to recordings she has of not just Giuliani, but of others as well. There's a whole host of really valuable information in this very terrible uh, lawsuit that she filed for I think it was 22 different counts, (laughs) um, leading to millions and millions of dollars in damages. But what's more important is the thing she's revealing about how our government under Donald Trump worked. So I think that's a pretty important story. Santos's indictment happened this last week. That's an important story. Eugene Carroll won a resounding victory against Donald Trump. Um, sort of alluded to it during our conversation with Mark because um, she got truth out. She got facts out. She was able to communicate information to a jury who listened and acted on it. And that included, as I said during the, the show, a lot of evidence of his sexually abusive behavior. So what did you think the big stories were?
0: Well, I mean, when we talk about Rudy Giuliani, it's hard for me to imagine that this man was once America's mayor, as they say, right after 9-11, uniting the country and how he and I guess a lot of other people went from pretty, I guess, even if you disagree with them politically, you could respect maybe their service for the country. But they were just kind of fell down this rabbit hole. And now you see Rudy Giuliani, everything that he's done to this. One woman. I haven't had a chance to read the full report yet, but just based off of the articles I've read, I mean, it's just like you said, disgusting and and just so terrifying. And um, but I, I think another thing that um, is important is looking at what's happening in Florida because just yesterday, um, Ron DeSantis signed a bill that would eliminate. Uh, D- diversity, equity, inclusion programs from being um, implemented at public colleges and universities, which is like, I mean, it's just this kind of continued war on things like wokeism and DEI and critical race theory, things that really don't really pose that big of a threat, but that Ronda DeSantis is making it seem like it's gonna come and attack uh, parents and children when it's really not. I mean, these are just things that should be at colleges. I mean, you think of young people who are more diverse than ever before and having these programs are just gonna help create those safe spaces more young people. And um, getting rid of these programs, I think, is really dangerous. But a part of this kind of continued attack that I'm worried about, and I think everyone should be worried about. And there's rumors that he might be announcing his presidency soon. Um, So is Mike Pence. So things are, I think, um, we're we're in for a ride.
1: Yeah, it's been an interesting full week, I would say. And next week promises to be equally so. So we'll have to just come back and talk. Well, maybe we should talk about some
0: lighter. Maybe we should talk about just in the remaining minutes we have. I mean, summer is quickly approaching. I know many students are graduating or already have already graduated or on summer break. Do you have any plans for summer?
1: My plans for summer? I don't get a summer break. So, no, it'll be (laughs) the same old, same old. um, I am going on. You're not going going to
0: coaster. You're not going to some exuberant island or another country?
1: Uh, No, I don't think so. But I am going with, you know, I'm, I'm the sisters in law podcast is live touring. We were in uh, a fabulous show in uh, Portland, Oregon, and Mm -hmm. I leave this week for New York and Washington for live shows there with my sisters in law. And that's a big deal. And then I get back and I leave with my uh, very close friends Uh, known as the bridesmaids because we were all bridesmaids for um, the bride. And although the marriage didn't last, our friendship has. And so we travel Mm -hmm. every summer together. And so I'm going to be doing that. Um, And then hopefully maybe just getting to swim and do some, some stuff other than work, work, work. Although I love what I do. And I seem to have lost Victor. Nope,
0: he's back. No, I, I'm still here. Sorry, sorry. Yes, um, but I, I, summer should be very exciting. I'll be in D.C. this summer. You have a summer. great summer. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll be in D.C. this summer, just like last summer. I'm not quite prepared for the humidity again, but um, it'll be an exciting summer, and hopefully um, we don't get out of school, actually, until the middle of June, so I still have a month of school, and everyone else is already out of school, so I... My mindset is summer, but I still have to do school for another month. Um, but yeah. I look forward to the day that summer will be here. Um, but that was a wonderful episode of IGen Politics, and this is perfect timing because I'm in a classroom right now and I'm about to be kicked out. So, uh, thank you everyone for watching. Thank you everyone for listening. We will see you all next week for another episode of IGen Politics uh, right here on YouTube.com/politicon. If you don't watch us, you can also find us wherever you follow your podcast. If you have an iPhone, Apple Podcasts is a place to be. Or if you have an Android, you can also go on Spotify or Google Podcasts, really wherever you listen. We are there. Um, And leave us a five-star review and rating there as it helps us tremendously. Thank you, everyone. And we will see you next week.